Chris, I was on an airplane this week, got delayed. So I'm not sure that's a huge shocker. No, not a big shocker in this day and age. <laughs> now, here's where I think oversharing comes in potentially, or a good learning on scripting and transparency. So we taxi out, get ready to take off here, leaving Nashville. And pretty quickly, I can realize we're not taking off. And we're in, so you hear the little bing, you know, we're headed back to the gate. What they should have said was, you know, uh, you know, some sort of a mechanical issue. We just wanted to be cautious, let somebody take a quick look. Shouldn't be long, you know, it's something along those lines, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we should we'll hopefully get you out here, you know, really quick, but we've got to circle back to the gate. No, they said, folks, we're, we're headed back to the gate. Couldn't get the second engine to fire off. That sounds alarming. Sorry, uh, what now? Couldn't get the second engine to fire. That seems important. I mean, we were back at the gate for like six minutes, and they were like, all right, I think we're good. What? What? Okay, hang on. I'm, I'm like, does nobody else find this alarming? That reminds me of that joke where a guy's flying in a plane, and the pilot comes on, and he says, the first of our four engines just broke, and we're going to be delayed about a half hour. The guy's like, great, I'm going to miss my meeting. Then the pilot comes on a half hour later. Our second engine just broke. We're going to be delayed about 45 minutes. 45 minutes later, our third engine just went out. I'm really sorry. We're going to be delayed just a little bit longer before we land. The guy is really irate. I'm going to miss my meeting. And then the pilot says, I'm sorry. Our fourth engine just went out. And the guy's like, are we going to be up here forever? Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome, one and all, friends, neighbors, countrymen. Welcome to Touchpoint, episode number 298. I am Reed. That is Chris. Yeah. Hey, Reed. I'm, I'm getting my second engine to fire right now, so I'm ready to go. Yeah, it's like the little, uh, it's like the little fan in your laptop, pretty much. Same difference. You know, so I always get worried when that goes on. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, are we about to crash? Like, no pun intended. <laughs> well, welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us for yet another week. We are just a couple of weeks away from episode 300. If anybody has any bright ideas, what we should do, I mean, we've got some ideas, but if you've got any ideas of what we should do for episode number 300, let us know. Reach out, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever, whatever you know, whatever media, immediately carrier pigeon, you know, whatever works. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. So touchpoint.health is the website. That is where certainly you can find out more about this episode, other episodes of the show, other shows on the network. But while you're there, check out the TPS report. You'll notice it up in the top navigation. Click on that, drop in your name and your email address, and you will start receiving an email from us once a week to start your week each Monday morning, five articles. That's all it is. Just a quick way to maybe give you a little bit of reading material or some things to think about for the week. So we'll pause here again. Touchpoint.health is the website. Jump over there, drop us a line, and we'll be back in just a minute with today's episode. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews, 
and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Okay, Reed, today we're going to have to have the discussion. Uh Uh-oh. It's time. It's been a long time coming. It's really time for us to just sit down and have this discussion. Okay. Which is how good AI is getting. Oh, okay. <laughs> what do you think it was going to be? I don't know. I wasn't sure. I didn't know if I was, if I was getting fired. Or <laughs> You'll never get fired. You're an integral part of this show. Don't worry. Exactly. No, um, I don't know about you, but lately I have been hearing about artificial intelligence in just about everything that's out there. You've, you've been seeing the same or hearing the same? Yeah, yeah. It, there is uh, some really, really cool stuff out there. Um, I think we've even mentioned some things, uh, maybe in like our weekly recommendations and that kind of stuff, some of the Google pieces and things like that. But yeah, there, there's some really cool stuff. I think most commonly we see it in the medical space as it relates to you see articles around like AI detecting breast cancer or something yeah. like that, right? Like you know, reading studies in, in film and stuff like that. Yeah. And we've talked about it before too. We have a, we've done a n- number of episodes on artificial intelligence. And even for us, we get into artificial intelligence in machine learning and advertising and chat bots and all of these different things, right? I mean, artificial te- intelligence is getting everywhere. It's getting into everything, so to speak. The last couple of weeks, I've seen a lot of articles, and I have to admit, I've also played around a lot with artificial intelligence creating artwork. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but there are some artificial intelligence programs that actually you could type in words and it generates artwork. And it's surprisingly scary. And I think what's interesting about it, so like, yes, you can create the like, I want you know a boat on the Pacific Ocean with a sunset or whatever, right? And it, it like creates this art. But it's like it's art that's never existed before. Yeah. It's not like it's going and finding an image. of. It's not like a Google search. And in fact, I did one just before we started the show. I just typed in the Touchpoint podcast, and we're going to make that the cover art. So go check out our cover art today because you'll see how surprisingly interesting it, it kind of knows from what we said. It, it's trying to predict, add context to those words. And it's not only art, Reed, right? You've... You've actually have been playing around with like text-based artificial intelligence, right? Yeah, and it's you know OpenAI. I think it's the same company that that has done a few of these types of things. But it's it's really fascinating how correct it can be, especially if you, if you're looking for something that's well known. I mean, you type my name in, you know, you're probably going to get some law firm related you know content, as you might imagine, but. You know, I wonder, it's like, man, if I'd have had this when I was in school, right? If you're doing a book report on like, you know, you're in sixth grade and you're doing a book report on uh, Australia or something, like I, you'd have to do no work. Basically. You can just type in, 
you know, I'd like 500 words on kangaroos and, I, you know, whatever. And it, it'll just like generate this entire story. It, it's fascinating. So then you're really just editing your book report at that point. It's just crazy to think about how smart it is. And I came across an article in the New York Times recently written by Kevin Rose. Kevin Rose, for those of you who may know, he's been in technology for a while. I think you and I remember him from the old tech TV days way back yeah. when. And he wrote an article about how good AI is getting. And he he kind of addresses in it a lo- some interesting things. First of all, he talks about these like artificial intelligence art things that I just mentioned, um, and how quickly they're improving. Uh, In fact, he said that with one of the tools that he was using, the images are are four times as detailed as images created by the original AI artwork, which was introduced only a year ago. I mean, think about the speed of that. Now we're talking about newer technologies that are being introduced that can go that fast, right? That That can upgrade four times better in a year. At some point, this is compounding interest, probably, I guess, just how good this is going to get and how fast this is going to you know, get there is really, really interesting. I think it's important to kind of call out, you know, this is not going to replace, like, I, I don't want this instead of artwork that right. creates necessarily, but just think about, you know, what you can do with this. The article kind of indicates that over the past 10 years, This is a period of time, by the way, that AI researchers are referring to as the golden decade. There's been a wave of progress in many areas of AI research, and it's fueled by a rise of technologies like deep learning and the advent of specialized hardware for running these huge computational intensive AI models. He gives out an interesting example about AlphaGo. So this is interesting. So it's a learning model built by Google, and it could beat the best humans in the world at a board game. Five years ago, it could, yeah. Five years ago, yeah. But last year, you think about you know how fast this stuff is, is I guess, iterating, right? And so he calls out in here the fact that that's like, kind of like a fun party trick or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, I mean, it's kind of like knowing magic, I guess. Yeah, whatever. exactly, exactly. Like, oh, well, this is neat, or solving a Rubik's Cube or something like that. But it calls out in here that last year, DeepMinds, which it was just Google's group, but DeepMinds AlphaFold, it's an AI system, descended from the Go playing one, did something truly profound. So it using deep neural network trains uh, trained to predict three-dimensional structures of proteins from one of their one-dimensional amino acid sequences. So essentially what they're saying, because that's a lot of really important words, uh, essentially it solved what's known as the protein folding problem, which had vexed molecular biologists for decades. Oh my gosh. I would like to know what all that means exactly, but all I know is that molecular biologists are really smart, and if it has vexed (laughs) them for decades... That is something. What you were talking about was last year. This summer, DeepMind announced that AlphaFold made predictions for nearly all of the 200 million known proteins to exist. And it basically produced this like data treasure trove, he calls it, that are going to help medical researchers develop new drugs and vaccines for years to come. Okay, from five years ago, when the same AI model was solving Go games, as the party trick, is now being used to solve drug and vaccine research for many years to come. That's crazy to think about how fast that AI model has grown. It really is. 
uh, they go on to talk about some of the things relative to AI-generated text. Only a few years ago, and people probably remember this, chatbots were they were okay, but but it was not the best experience, right? Like it wasn't like, I mean, you knew you were dealing with a chatbot. It was very mechanical and just struggled a lot of times with just, you know, what would be just basic conversation, I guess. But now there's obviously language models that are used to write things like screenplays, compose marketing emails, develop video games, et cetera. And now AI is even writing code. So many AI experts are going to tell you that AI is getting better at doing a lot of things. And in many areas, such as languaging and reasoning, where it once seemed that maybe AI would never go, AI is now getting involved. And that's not to say there isn't any bad AI out there. There still is, right? I think there's you, you can find Twitter accounts dedicated to AI chatbots and stuff like that. But when we see this kind of dramatic improvement in AI, it's going to have a profound impact on virtually every part of our lives. Now, he points out that AI, even though it's improving this quickly, it's going to take a while to filter down. And he even says, you know, it doesn't mean that your Roomba will be able to write novels, you know, in the next year or so. Well, maybe it could. I don't know. Maybe it'll at least say something as it's driving around. But nonetheless... The conversation is starting to shift. We're starting to think about AI in a whole different way. I think there's much more value here. Again, it's not just this mechanical two-way piece. They call out in here that estimated two years ago, 15% chance of transformational AI, which others in this article have have defined that AI is good enough to usher in large-scale economic or societal changes, such as eliminating most white-collar knowledge jobs by 2036. But in a recent post, they raised that to 35% chance. I am going to go back to trade school. (laughs) Well, this is why it's important that we're, we're talking about it. AI is so critical and it's so infused in everything. It's getting into things that are not just like these theoretical stuff that's happening in labs and, you know, reading research papers and all this other fun stuff. It's now getting into social media apps. A few uh, episodes ago, we talked about algorithmic driven social media. And and that's how that's giving a rise to uh, the, the, the death of social media as we know it. There's that. We talk about, you know, all these photos, videos, texts, all that other fun stuff. Quite frankly, as we look forward in the next couple of years, Kevin Rose believes that our online interactions could become stranger and more fraught, as he says, because we will start to struggle to figure out if the people that we're conversing with online are human or very convincing robots or AI chatbots. Is this where we start talking about deep fakes? Is this- he does call out deep fakes in this because that is certainly something that's there too, right? But he does end the article kind of in a hopeful way about three things we can do. Why don't we talk about those really quick, Reed? Yes, his first regulators and politicians uh, need to get up to speed. So otherwise, we end up with a repeat of what you know is happening now with social media. Uh, <laughs> yep. we, we've talked about that relative to misinformation and, and those types of things. Secondly, he says that big tech companies that are investing billions in AI development Google, Meta, OpenAIs, etc., they need to do a better job of explaining what really they're working on and not sugarcoating or soft-pedaling the risks. Most of the work that's being done now is kind of behind closed doors, 
and they're using like secretive data sets and all this other stuff that's being done. And whenever information is made public about them, it's either watered down by like a press release or it's like in scientific papers. He's actually calling on these big tech companies to start talking openly about what they're doing. Finally, or third, the news media needs to do a better job of explaining AI and specifically to non-experts, of course. So too often, and he even says he, you know, he's a guilty party here, uh, rely on outdated sci-fi shorthand to translate what's happening AI to a general audience. So sometimes they compare large language models to Skynet. Yeah. Lord, I mean, who even remembers what that is at this point? Anyway, <laughs> in the, you have the quote here about the robots are coming. Anyway, but yes, I mean, people need to do a better job in general talking about technology, but certainly AI to non, non-experts. So what we're going to do, Reed, is after this break, we're going to come back and try to do that very thing, talk in a very realistic way about AI and how we could start to adopt it better in our space and some of the changes that will occur as we look to the future. But we'll do that right after this brief pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Let's talk a little bit more about AI specifically in healthcare. Uh, We've got another article here from Healthcare IT News, Developing Trust in Healthcare AI Step-by-Step. It's a good article, link to in the show notes. And it starts off by saying, obviously, the usage of AI in healthcare is growing. At the same time, the author indicates that some providers are still skeptical about how much they should trust these learning models. Again, back to the sort of that old bias of, are you sure the computer knows more than we as clinically trained individuals? And, you know, we're humans, we have better, better ways to think about things. And the article kind of relies heavily on a, a report that was pr- that came out, Chillmark came out with a, a report this year called AI and Trust in Healthcare Report. Unfortunately, that report is behind a paywall. But this article kind of talks a little bit about uh, some of the ba- major findings. Yeah, and specifically growth in enterprise level, it says augmented and artificial intelligence has touched population health research, uh, clinical practice, uh, emergency room management, health system operations, revenue cycle, supply chain, et cetera. Um, And and we've got, we even have some of that here. A good example um, is a company called BioIntelligence. And it's a a wearable, it's a sticker, it takes vital signs throughout the day, you know, that that kind of thing, right? So you can do pre and post monitoring, so true remote patient monitoring, but you can also do it in the inpatient space as a workforce play to take some of that workload off of the nurse, right? Going around or waking people up in the night to get their blood pressure or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's great. But what do you do with all that information? You know, it's taking these vital signs 1,440 times a day versus like six or something. So that sounds good. But what do you do with that information? Well, it allows you to make some decisions, but ultimately allow you to, in a predictive way, understand who may be a candidate for certain types of deterioration, right? So that deterioration index and the AI related to that. Well, that's all such a large data set. It's like, how would you do that manually, right? Right. I think that's where these types of things come into play. They help you make decisions. They help you. Chris, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. I don't don't know a year yet that we haven't talked about a nursing shortage. Um, So at some point, just that just is what it is. It's not a nursing shortage, I don't guess. It's just we're, we're never going to have enough nurses. So how do you prioritize what you do? This is all kind of part of that equation in my mind. Yeah, and the other thing about AI too is there's this promise of not only what you're talking about, some efficiencies, right? But cost savings ultimately. We talk a lot about call centers and trying to automate simple tasks to be more handled by machine learning and chatbots, just so so that the human intervention can be much more meaningful. I think it's the bigger promise here, efficiency and cost savings, to help organizations realize that they could do a lot of things with deeper insights into clinical patterns, into regular routine learning, etc. When many organizations are considering implementing chatbots in their call centers is a great example of just trying to free up time so we could actually focus on the more, I guess, higher impact interventions that we can do. Well, it even changes some of the understanding, right? So again, back to some of this this stuff that we're working on, and this is where I'm going to put my chief medical officer hat on because I've sat next to him enough. And so I'm just repeating (laughs) what your doctors say. Like one of the things that they think is going to come from this is when looking at sepsis, the leading indicator for sepsis now is core body temperature, but they think that's going to evolve to be respiratory rate. Well, Again, without the massive amount of data points and the ability to synthesize this, how do you get there? Like, how do you know these things? That's not to say that AI is perfect. We know that there's a lot of algorithmic bias. That's right. We have to be careful. We want to kind of put AI in its right place. The downstream effects of using AI could either be positive or negative, but according to the Chilmark report, Clinical decision support tools based on problematic scientists are still in use, according to the research. But in some cases, there's some good advancements here. We have to be very careful here, Reed, as we look at where the future is. In fact, there is an industry-wide consortium being proposed to address some of the critical areas of AI that are central to patient safety. And in order to build an ecosystem of validated, transparent, and health equity-oriented models with the potential for beneficial social impact. So the report outlines steps that should be taken, they say, to ensure good data science, including how to build diverse teams capable of addressing the complexities of bias in healthcare AI based on uh, you know, this think tank research. Again, the report is behind a paywall, so it's kind of hard. We'll we'll link to where you can actually link to it in the show notes, but we're going to link to this article so you can get some of these high-level salient points out of the article. Let's talk about 
some other trends that this article points out that they feel are related. They call them the larger trends that are impacting AI. So one of the things they say is that some in the medical and scientific communities have pushed back on AI-driven studies that fail to share enough details about their codes and how they were tested, according to an article on AI replication crisis in the MIT Technology Review. That same year, Princeton University researchers released a review of scientific papers also containing pitfalls. So you can see why there's still this kind of sense of distrust in AI. Yeah, in addition, some research they say shows that the trade-off between fairness and efficacy and AI can be eliminated with intentional thoughtfulness in the development stages. So, you know, by defining fairness goals up front in, in that machine learning process. Meanwhile, they say, you know, rushed AI development, you know, so we're trying to deploy it quickly, I guess, uh, have led to some overhyped performance, according to uh, some of the principles um, in the Booz Allen Hamilton's uh, healthcare business. Yeah, he even presented prominent, this guy, Joaquim Roski, presented some prominent AI failures and key design principles for evidence-based AI development. The point here is they're really trying to take a, a, a deep look at how AI is being used in healthcare and add that layer of transparency that we need so that we can actually understand how the algorithms are being built, understand where the challenges are in those algorithms and find ways to improve them. I don't think he's against using AI. I don't think the industry itself is against using AI. I think the general theme here is we just want more transparency so we can use it as part of our evidence-based research. I think there are uh, some other things for consideration. So the Chilmart Report's author hosted an April podcast interview Mm. with the digital advisor in health and life science at Microsoft about combating bias in AI. Uh, So based on their findings, research, uh, researching race adjusted algorithms currently in use, she said increasing developer responsibility and accountability could ultimately reduce damage to patients. There's actually a quote that the person from Microsoft said, says, if you're not empowering the data people that are creating the tools to protect populations, to get people involved in clinical studies, if you're not empowering these people to make the change and give them the authority to drive action, then it's just performance. AI is just a performance-driven play. Again, let's make AI more transparent so that we can actually use it in a more holistic way in our space. And with that, Reed, I think we're going to take one pause, and then you and I will come back. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of the trends that are showing how AI and machine learning can potentially impact the future of healthcare. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Finally, to wrap the show up, let's talk about an article from our friends over at Forbes. It's nice to see they've It's been a while since they've been on the show. Yeah. Hey, hey guys, how you doing? Nice, they're back. Uh, how AI and machine learning will impact the future of healthcare. That's a big, uh, it's a big statement. 
Yeah. But they start off, and we'll touch first on a few challenges that they call out. You know, first and foremost, the U.S. currently spends more money on healthcare than any other country in the world, but its individual health outcomes are lower than most developed nations. And additionally, clinician burnout is a huge problem. We talked about that, in fact, last episode. Another thing that we've touched on in a previous episode is about individuals in different generations also want healthcare that's personalized to their needs. There's a quote here, Reed. I'd love for you to read it from Tom Lowry, National Director of AI for Health and Life Sciences at Microsoft. What does he say about your favorite generation, the millennials? Oh, the millennials. Yes. I'm almost a millennial, I think. I don't know. We keep going back and forth. I'm not sure exactly where the cutoff is anymore. But anyway, millennials want to be able to have their healthcare consult from the same place they order their dinner, (laughs) which is their couch. I had to finish that sentence because I thought for a second, like, you know, are we stop? Is it, you know, Whataburger and you're also like getting a. Anyway, in the drive-through, <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna go that. Anyway, but it goes on to say. Meanwhile, you have groups like baby boomers have a very different approach. Uh, they're much more inclined to want to focus on their primary care provider. So we have to have the ability to go from a one-size-fits-all in in the way we think about care delivery with these systems to using data and AI to truly personalize it, starting with the care that's generational. Uh, then even within the generations, like millennials, Gen Z, et cetera, we have to have the ability to allow them to access and manage the care on their own terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is interesting. We think a lot about this. Uh, we have a lot of, mar- at Ardent, we have a lot of markets that are geographically, you know, kind of scattered around, like we're across, I think, six or so states. And that's very true. You know, there's a lot of commonality between those areas. But then again, there's also some areas where, you know, on-demand visits may be performing better than in others. And, you know, of course you drill down by services and geography and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's really important. Absolutely. I think so, too. I'm also cognizant of the fact that they did not mention uh, our generation. I think you're in this generation. Gen X is not in here. So I guess we don't consume healthcare at all, right? But anyway... <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're in a weird like no man's land yeah exactly we're, we're between boomers and millennials i don't know anyway the big promise of ai and healthcare is the next section of this article and, and we, we want to talk about some of those things because i think it it does make sense the primary use case for ai and healthcare right now is around machine learning and ai to make predictions using ai to predict everything from Emergency department volumes, that's a big use case, and that gets a better handle on where to staff and triage it, or you know, putting lots of data through it to predict which treatments might be most effective. In this particular case, calling out women who develop breast cancer, for example, that's a big, very well-reported study. These are the, some of the primary use cases here, but there are some additional promises in healthcare. So yeah, so natural language processing. They talk about it here as it relates to improving the interpretation of patient scans by augmenting the work of human radiologists. Mm. This is above my pay grade, but I'll take their word for the fact that, I mean, that is a big promise, certainly, yes. And I think radiology in the idea of, of, uh, back to earlier in the show, talking about images and things like that, I think that is a real opportunity for second opinions and scans and reviews and that kind of thing. Another big promise of AI in healthcare comes from clinical workflows and how you can apply them 
to change clinical workflows. Uh, If done right, AI can add value by either automating or augmenting work that clinicians and staff do. We talked before, just, you know, just before about chatbots in call centers. That's an example of that. Repetitive tasks that become fully automated. And using AI as a tool to help professionals become better at their jobs and focus on those things that actually improve outcomes for patients. These are kind of the three major promises that AI can provide to healthcare. Using machine learning to make predictions, using natural language processing and other interpretive services to look at scans or patient records and looking at clinical workflows to improve them. And organizations that are going to be most successful, the ones that are leveraging AI and machine learning into these various different iterations. But there's a reason why we haven't really fulfilled the overall promise of AI yet, right? Yeah, they they talk in here about the fact that, you know, we're not effectively using it across the entire healthcare system. And, and looking at that feedback, it's really about leaders understanding the capabilities of AI and then looking at how to apply it to add value. So the value of AI doesn't come from the technology. It comes from changing clinical workflows and the operational process, some of the things that we've already mentioned. And that AI adds value in one or two ways. It adds value by augmenting the way we work or it's augmenting the, the way the work is done, right? So back to you know, the example I gave earlier about the prioritization of like, you know, you understand who's deteriorating or the, the, um, the, the possibility of deterioration. Well, then that changes the way you work in relation to like, who am I reaching out to from like a discharge standpoint to maybe uh, uh, prevent readmissions or something like that. I think that's a really interesting way. So automation means highly repetitive work done by humans today is going to be done by smart machines uh, in the future, they talk about. And the biggest part of healthcare today is augmentation. The idea that augmentation is how we bring AI in behind humans to make them better at something they care about. That's an interesting perspective, right? Like AI is there to support you, not to replace you. This is the thing. When you look at AI, a lot of people turn to AI as saying, well, it's going to replace our common tasks that we do. In this particular case, the perspective is AI is going to support us, us as humans in the healthcare environment, so that we can we can focus better on those things that we care about. Another good example is a company called Winno. You know, Winno is is taking into account AI and, and machine learning to look at uh, physician recruiting in a new way. So again, it's not replacing a physician recruiter. It's not going to recruit the physician on its own, but it's going to equip the physician recruiter with a highly targeted and uh, predictive way uh, candidates. Right. So people that maybe aren't even candidates, they're, they're not actively looking. It's helping you, you know, kind of refine and look at a different way of you know, who to reach out to and when. So but you, you still have to recruit them. Right. So, again, it's a supportive mechanism. That's why we don't have to really fear or distrust AI at all. We just have to learn how to work with it better. It's kind of like, think of it this way, right? AI is good at this pattern recognition, sifting through a lot of data to find something that we're just, we just don't have the time to find. Or maybe we just don't have the brain capacity to look at millions of charts to come up with that kind of connection. On the other hand, humans are great at wisdom, common sense, empathy, and creativity. Mm. If you combine those together... That's kind of a winning situation. Is this kind of like cyborg 
bionic kind of stuff that we're talking about? I don't think so, right? It's like basically using technology to help augment what we're doing. You're kind of one of the last kind of statements here. Uh, to be able to adapt to the future trends and in the integration of AI into the healthcare system, as a clinician, simply need to become aware of the power of this new technology and understand that the world's changing. Instead of taking over jobs, building an intelligent healthcare system will make the clinician better at what they do while improving patient experiences. So this kind of goes back to, and everybody loves this little, I've heard this a million times lately, but practicing at the top of your license. Well, this is kind of what that is, right? So it's like, let's figure out how to take some of this stuff off off your plate and or make you more effective at it uh, so you can do what only you can do. That's interesting. It's kind of like I, I am also in my mind where I went to read is like AI is such a vast application, but we have to start thinking of limited use cases in which we can really leverage it the right way, right? It's almost like taking something that could dynamically shift this entire industry and actually narrow it down to those things that we can actually do or actually that we're focused on that we know AI can help us with. That's where my mind went. Yeah, I think so. All right, Reed. So I think we had a good conversation here. I think we learned a lot about ourselves and AI. And I hope that this conversation is something that's going to make you and I and everybody listening in feel that much better about artificial intelligence. But what I'd really like to do is, is see if those of you listening in let us know if there's any other applications of AI where we think we can really leverage in a good way here in healthcare or share any other examples of artificial intelligence machine learning that would be interesting for our audience to hear. With that, Reed, why don't we uh, take one last pause and then you and I will be back to close out the show. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we are back to wrap up the show. Fun conversation around AI. We'll only talk more about it in the future, I'm sure. But appreciate you all tuning in. Would love to hear what you think. If there's other topics or people we should have on the show, certainly would love to hear that as well. Reach out to us. The TPS report mentioned it earlier in the show. Be sure to sign up for it. It also has some quick links to upcoming industry conferences and all that kind of fun stuff. But uh, maybe let's do a couple of recommendations and then we'll uh, we'll call it a week. What do you have today, Chris? I'm going to make a recommendation about something that's about this, the topic that we were talking about today in the podcast. It's a website where you can do AI artwork and it's called Crayon, spelled C-R-A-I-Y-O-N.com. This whole concept of artificial intelligence artwork is a little bit weird, but basically you, you're faced with a screen where you could type in whatever you want in the little search box, and then you hit the little icon that looks like a little pen drawing, and it'll take about two minutes to generate artwork 
that is based on artificial intelligence. And this isn't like finding things that match to it. It's actually trying to put context into your words and then using its own algorithms dynamically build the artwork. They're not composites made out of existing images. It basically uses AI processes called diffusion to start with a random series of pixels and refine it repeatedly until it starts to match the text. As I mentioned, I did some artwork around the name of our podcast, the Touchpoint Podcast. And again, check the show notes uh, for the artwork, right? It's on our website, touchpoint.health. It's crazy how amazingly smart it is to kind of generate this artwork. Another thing that I've seen other people do is like ask for a GoPro view of Washington crossing the Delaware, for example. So it has something that contextualizes itself, right? And it actually tries to paint it in a GoPro kind of perspective. But one warning to anyone using any kind of AI-assisted artwork it doesn't do faces well. In fact, the faces look kind of creepy. So if you do it, just don't be disturbed if you see a face because the way it kind of posits the faces, they come off looking like they're from the movie The Ring or whatever. It's just all weird, right? So just don't, just be careful with what you do. But anyway, that's my recommendation today. Crayon, C-R-A-I-Y-O-N.com. Go out, have some fun. Uh, it's a fun party trick and it's also uh, a creepy way to, to freak out people that you like too if you get their faces in there there you go all right i'm going to recommend a podcast i you know i may have recommended this before so i apologize if anybody's keeping track at home i know it's been a while if i if i have it's super irregular as far as like its releases and that kind of thing there's a guy named dave barnes he is a singer songwriter here in nashville and he has a podcast with another singer songwriter Uh, called Dadville. And and that is a common, that one comes out like every week, right? And they have a guest on and all that kind of fun stuff. Anyway, but he has another podcast. That's a good one. Sign up for it if you want. But there's one that if you like music, it is super nerdy relative to the music industry or or music, uh, I guess, in general. But it's called Dave's Five Hot Takes. Oh. Each episode is five takes. It is like the most recent one, like he'll go through and say the first hot take has to do with Crazy by Gnarls Barkley. And if you notice on the second verse, how it goes from C minor to C versus on the other chord. Anyway, it, it is it's crazy bizarre in the weeds relative to like how certain songs are written or the progression or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. It's really wild. Um, so I think the most current one, he talks about the Gnarls Barkley piece. He talks about Barracuda by Hart, and he talks yeah. about some Stevie Wonder stuff. Anyway, cool. <laughs> it's pretty wild. But so if you like music and, and you're just... And he's, he's a semi-pro comedian, self-appointed. So he's kind of a funny guy. So it's a, it's a fun podcast to listen to. But anyway, Dave's Five Hot Takes. Interesting. I'm going to have to check that out. Good recommendation. Yeah, there you go. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for episode 298 of Touchpoint. Again, I'm Reed Smith. That's Chris Boyer. Let us know what you want to hear next. And let us know if you have ideas for episode 300. We certainly appreciate all the support and we will see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.